Well, I don't know if I approve. I don't even drink beer. Well, I need one. Okay. Fuck you. <laughs> this isn't about you. This is my, this is my podcast. <laughs> Hope he picks up. It'd be really left on red by my producer. That would be sad, wouldn't it? Left on red. Yeah. It's just like screening my calls. <laughs> Oh my God, he can't take my call right now. All right, that's all fine. I'll just send him a text message. Um, Hello and welcome to Harko Meets Humans. On the couch today, it's John Lemon. Hello. And um, I'm very excited having John here today because uh, I think the the first time we met was at Crumb, at Cafe, and you were lovely. And uh, I think we mentioned the music thing first meeting. You were like, you're a musician, aren't you? Yes. And I was like, whoa, hang on there, buddy. <laughs> Do you like, is that weird? No, I mean, it's nice. It like scratches my ego just a tiny bit, yeah, you know? Good. It's yeah. like, oh, he knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'm trying to, I knew that you're a musician and my hunch was, and I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but I did you play at a camp Aloham? Long time ago, yeah. I think that's where I saw you there. Oh. At a camp Aloham. And oh, that's I, I, cool. Yeah. Because, so you must have been based in Wellington at the time? I was. How long have you been in Auckland for? Ooh, like a year and a half-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just before the lockdown. <laughs> uh, no, that was, that was only a, half, a year and a half. Oh, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you got a bit of Auckland before, before COVID happened. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, a year of Auckland then COVID. And so, as the listeners are probably um, aware, John has a American accent. How long have you been in New Zealand as a whole? Almost 13 years. Wow. Which is crazy to me. I remember I sent this, when I left, there was this like high school crush. Actually, it wasn't even high school. It was like a crush I had from when I was like eight to 10 years old. And we stayed in brief touch. And then I was like 19 when I left. And I was like a couple of weeks before leaving and she like didn't really respond to my calls very much. And I sent this like really melodramatic like email being like, I'm going off to New Zealand and I might not return for another four years. <laughs> so if you don't respond to this, <laughs> did you get a response? No. Oh my God. But, and, and I, you know, thought about it for years and then somehow we sort of connected on Facebook or something, but didn't actually send each other messages. She, she and I became friends when I lived in Iowa, of all places, which I lived for a couple of years and it was a total hellscape. But um, <laughs> I like fa- rewind to like a year ago and I go back to Los Angeles for like two months to visit family and just scope out the city and see like, what is this place that I was born in? Anyway, she happens to have moved there and we end up hanging out and we hadn't seen each other in like, what would have it been? Uh, we were like 12 the last time we'd seen each other and now we were like, it was like 20 years. Wow. Yeah, and and it was so cool. It was actually like just like you know, as from the time we were ten, like nothing had changed. And then I, I mentioned the email thing. She totally forgotten about it, and then she was like, "Did I respond?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> go figure." Sounds like me. Yeah, <laughs> bro, that teenage, that like end of world teenage perspective, eh? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it was definitely that. Yeah. I think I put some like Radiohead lyric quote in the email. <laughs> That's because you're a cultured gentleman. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to seem like it at least. So you, if you moved around in America, 
Because you you said to me you were Californian. Yeah, I was born in California. Born in California, but would have you lived in? So you've lived in New Zealand for thirteen years, but you were in America for nineteen years. Yeah. Does it? Which one feels more like home now? I don't know. I feel like I don't have a home. I I, I have because I've got a lot of English friends who have yeah. lived in New Zealand. And they kind of say the same thing. Is oh, that really? Weird? Is that it weird? is weird, especially when most other people around you do feel like they have a home. Yeah. And and then. Even seeing, say, like my friend there who didn't even grow up in L.A., but now she lives there. But it's like, that's her home. And I grew up there, and I don't feel like it's my home. And I've spent my entire adult life here, and obviously I'm different from everyone else. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. I, I long for home, but to be honest, like I think I long for home in a way that's deeper than uh, just spending your whole life in the same place, like... I feel like in a way we are all divorced from our like deeper home. Yeah. What, how could we, how, do you even know how to define or think about I what think we just a deeper need home is? To take off all our clothes and go into nature and sing songs together. Right. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I say that half kidding. I sort of do that every year. Yeah, yeah, connect to nature. <laughs> no, I just go to this really buzzy um, music festival called Kiwi Burn, and like, if you were to sum it up in one way, that would kind of be it. But um, I don't know. It's got its own set of problems. That's also really cool. But uh, no, I don't know. I just think like, uh, you know, we're not meant to like live in boxes and not know our neighbors and not sing songs together. Yeah. I don't know. That's I, That makes sense to me. I've been thinking, for some reason, I've been thinking about this a lot recently is like, how I'm not usually someone to think about like narratives or societal, you know, contexts and stuff like that. Mm. Um, uh, but for some reason this week, I've been thinking a lot about how we view the function of things. I think I had a talk with a friend about like in New Zealand, um, everyone wants to know what job you do. And like the thing you do is like the important thing about you. Right. And that, that was like, that's kind of weird. It's like, Turning a human into like a what what oh what machine are you? Which cog? Yeah, which are cog you? are you for a thing? Yeah, and which machine do you belong to? And I don't mean that in a, like I don't mean it's in that like fuck the system way because like we need cogs for our system to work and like I'm a cog in a system and you know we just need love. Yeah, and you can. <laughs> Sorry, add, I'm kidding. That's the lubrication of it. <laughs> for sure. Um, but that's a, but that's a really interesting thing in that framework when you think about like what is home because we're told it's like yeah just having a you're gonna we're we're, we're gonna live in this box and have this one address code and and not know the people around us and it is kind of fucked up that we all just operate on that way as a default here anyway I think it's probably in quite a few places especially yeah. in the Western world um, but yeah I hate it. We've really, we've really. You don't have much of a choice, though, you know. What can you? Yeah. Well, Kanye seems to be doing it. He's building a commune. Uh, he's, but he's not crazy. typical. He's got a billion dollars or whatever. Yeah, we have to figure. Is he, yeah. Oh, he is building one in like in Illinois or something like that. He's got that whole ranch where it seems like people are living, and he's building houses for the future and stuff like that. Yeah. Like he's right. thinking about that stuff. Um, Man, you know, I I've like been thinking about this stuff for. Um, a long time and like I don't know at least eight years I've been massively on the whole like urban planning is fucked sort of thing yeah and like wanting to build 
you know, but we need resources. You actually need resources. Like, like the simplest thing, I remember my friend Kate, she was, she was doing her master's in architecture and she studied this block in Newtown in Wellington and said, what if you took all four of these houses um, that are all owned by landlords and if the landlords, instead of renovating them individually at different times, agreed to renovate them together at the same time and knock down all the fences and then got like basically put a central large kitchen in the middle or that sort of thing, like basically shared utilities in the center mm. and like a shared social space in the center and then um, meant that you could have more private individual living spaces and um, and a community and which is kind of like, <clears throat> yeah, a little bit the dream in a way. Um, and it was basically, it was like, it would cost the same amount of money for mm. the landlords and it would increase the value for the whole community. But, um, you know, good luck convincing for neighboring landlord properties to do that. I don't know. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's like the point is though, like, I mean, I don't own a house. I don't, I don't have enough money to, and none of my friends have enough money to like all buy houses together. It's like, it's like an impossible thing to do unless you, yeah, go like fuck off to a, um, the middle of nowhere, which I think a lot of people in New Zealand have done because there's like a lot of middle of nowheres you can go to and start the thing. But these days it's like none of us have enough money to even do that. So I don't know. Yeah, and we're kind of, we are a little bit addicted to Auckland, like a lot of... Yeah, I couldn't leave here. Yeah. I don't know, like, and go into, like, the prairies. Like... The prairies. <laughs> Sorry, I know, that's like an American, American thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are prairies? Is it just a field with flowers? What's a prairie? Yeah, I think so. I just imagine, yeah, rolling hills with grass. I feel like, isn't that, is that what Ohio is? Is that what you said? I, uh, Wait, Iowa. Iowa. Sorry, Iowa. No, it's all right. People always get Idaho, Ohio, and Iowa confused. As I just assume Iowa is just It is that, prairies. actually. It is prairies, <laughs> yeah. There, there used to be Buffalo or something. I and don't know. and election ads. Those are the two <laughs> things in Iowa, yeah. prairies Yeah, exactly. Ads. And pigs. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Canterbury, man. That's where I grew up. Ah, beautiful. Have you been to Timaru, my friend? No. Oh, my God. Is it is it a wonderful place? It's a beautiful. It's got a beautiful beach, but it's not. Um, it's not a community. It's not cranking, you, really. Yeah, okay. It's like a. It's like a big rural town. Yeah, it's a vibe for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, some people, some people don't mind living uh, without a whole like millions of humans surrounding them. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, like or outside LA, like an hour outside LA, and. Um, a place called Thousand Oaks, California. And it was like a pretty conservative suburb. And I just remember like, I was like, is there no one else on earth like me? Right. You know, yeah. I felt so just other. That's how I felt in Timaru as well, for sure. And then I, I moved from the suburbs of LA to straight to Wellington. And uh, when I was 19, and because I had a couple brothers that lived there and I just wanted to check it out. And for me, it was like moving to the big city. Like, cool. Because all of a sudden there were all these people that were similar to me, that I got to hang out with, and and we could have conversations about stuff, and they didn't. I don't know. Just think I was super weird. What's your What's your like musical story in Wellington? Like, you arrive. Like, how do you what What do you do musically there? Like, how, what What did you do to get into the well, scene? It, and it's funny actually, because the whole reason I came to Wellington was in a, like to start a band with my brother. Right. Which is just funny because like everyone here moves to LA to like, I don't know, make it in the music industry. I was like, I'm going to Wellington. Wellington. 
And then, I don't know, that didn't work out. My story is that, like, he just, like, I was too clingy. And he was like, John, get off me. Right. Um, I don't know. I think his story is maybe slightly differently. I think we did do a few band practices and stuff. But essentially, at a certain point, I realized, like, I just had to, like, do it on my own. And so I just started making music on my own. I think I sent a few of my demos to um, Blink, uh, who ran Camp Aloham. And uh, he didn't really respond the first time but then later on he told me that he was like playing my um my ep that i released at his like local record store and then he offered to help me um <clears throat> get a uh, funding for um one of my, like uh, nz on air funding for a music video for one of my songs and then invited me to play at camp Aloham. so in a way like blink was a real was real fundamental to helping me get like established in in wellington and um I guess in the underground music scene in New Zealand. At the same time, like while that was happening, I was submitting, like, I think I, I probably made about 10 songs that I submitted to like blogs at the time was like a real big thing in 2010. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember blogs. <clears throat> yeah, there was a few, there was a few of these like alt indie blog, like No Modest Bear and which weird names like that. And um, they would like publish my stuff and like no one, this was like a little bit before Ian started supporting me, no one in New Zealand would play my music or like I, even though I'd send it to all the like BFM stations and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, until until I started playing camp and stuff. Yeah, right. And then after after that little first break, how, how you would have had a, quite a few more years in Wellington from there, eh? Yeah, quite a few, yeah. So that was interesting. I, um, let's see here, Camp Loham, was like 2011 to 2014-ish. And those were, those were glory years for like New Zealand underground music. That's amazing, man. <clears throat> it was just so, so good. Such a great time. I remember like, cause I'd been, right before I moved here, I'd been, been to Coachella two years in a row, like 2006, 2007. And I- Was that like kind of early on for <clears throat> Coachella? Yeah. Yeah, right. early-ish for sure. Yeah, and cool. um, I saw Daft Punk play there, which was like the coolest thing in the world, blew my mind. But um Aside from that, I actually really didn't like it. I was like, this is like a meat market for, for bands. Like, I was like, get your Grizzly Bear, get That's your LCD sound system. Such a good way to put it, meat market for bands. It truly was. I'd seen, at the time, Grizzly Bear was my favorite band and I'd seen them play at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. And they, they, it, was, it was a beautiful show, it was magical. I went with this girl I liked and we both liked Grizzly Bear and we were just dancing around in the audience. And, then we saw them at Coachella and it was just, it was just so flat, you right. know? It was just hot and nobody cared and <laughs> yeah. it didn't sound very good. And yeah. the band members looked hot as well, like not sexy, but just like really sweaty. And it was just, it was just not anything in comparison to actually seeing them in a live, real, like a serious live context. I mean, that said, like, yeah, like I said, seeing Daft Punk there was like the greatest show I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if you went to the Beyonce concert a couple of years ago, that would have also been the greatest concert anyone has ever seen. But um, when I got here and started going to Camp Aloham, I was like, this is better than Coachella. Right. That was my feeling. That's interesting because like yeah. we, New Zealand, I, I loved it. All my friends have huge, big memories of it. We still talk about it and the things that happened there. And like even I was listening to, there's this podcast called the Talk House Podcast and they get interviews to, they get musicians to interview one another mm. at each episode. And I was listening to one with um, Dan Snaith, who's Caribou, mm. talking to Kevin Parker. Yeah. And three quarters of the way through that, they're like, oh, when did we first meet? And Kevin goes, oh, I think we met at um, that New Zealand festival, um, Camp Aloham. 
How did Kevin come to that? And Dan Snaith was like, oh, yeah, it was, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you, you were sitting on the like grass um, and you showed me some of the, I think it was Lonerism that you were working on. And and (laughs) Kevin was like, yeah, I was there with Pond and Pond were playing. Yeah, Pond was playing. I I talked to the members of Pond and I was like, whoa, you're like part of Team Apollo. But like, I wasn't a big enough fan to recognize Kevin. Uh, That was the best year. That That, was insane. That was at Bulls, right? That was the campus of Loham. Yeah. 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 Because Fortet was there. Toro Imoir. Caribou. Yeah. And the Tori Ma set was fucking crazy. I loved that because I loved that, that album when that, that came was out. like on the lawn or whatever, right? Yep. That's I mean, funny. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? Because like I wasn't actually playing Camp Loham at the time. I was like, I was just playing with my friend's band there, not like my own stuff. Which band was that? Uh, Wet Wings. Um, I saw Wet Wings. Yeah. Oh, cool. cool. You would have seen me on stage play like, keyboard or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'd had like a dream a few days before that I was playing there and that like Tori Ma like came and kicked me off stage to play. <laughs> <laughs> like with his, yeah, with his like crew, he's like, get off. <laughs> <laughs> That's like it's an anxiety dream. <laughs> Shit, man. Oh god. Yeah. Hey, like that. Yeah. It, it's nice. It's like we said. Like I have conversations exactly like that. A lot of people have those kinds of memories mm. of of all of the camps. But it's always that New Zealand thing of like, is this, do we just think this is cool because we're New Zealanders in New Zealand or like, is I, this actually cool? Yeah, that's like, and that, it's funny you say that because like that's the feeling I've been having lately because I've spent like 13 years here and mm. I'm like, why do I keep staying here? Right. It's sort of, it actually like speaking of festivals, it's kind of like that. I don't know if you ever get this when you go to a festival and you're just having some like really good chat or some really good experience and you're like, I know there's all these other bands playing at all those other stages, but like I'm just loving what's happening right now and I have no intention of moving. Yeah. And then like, I don't know, in retrospect, you're like, oh, maybe I should have gone and seen so-and-so or whatever, but it was just such a good time. Or maybe you were like, oh no, I, I, I shouldn't have. I was doing the right thing. Anyway, I sometimes wonder that about like me being in New Zealand all this time. I'm like, there's all this other stuff happening all around the world, but it's like just so comfy and nice and there's so many cool things happening here. So like, what do you think you're missing being here? I don't know, like uh, turmoil. That's <laughs> <laughs> too chill. <laughs> being amongst a, a nation that's falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like a disaster tourist. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go and see what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it becomes less appealing every year. Like, yeah. you know, for ages I've been like, I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, like one of the first songs I released in 2010 was a song called Home. And it was like right when I'd made the decision, I was like, I'm moving back to LA. Right. And then I just never did. And like when you, because you went, you said you went for a trip back there to like check out LA for a bit. <laughs> how, yeah. How did you, and that was how we kind of got onto Home. Like, how did you, did you, feel confused when you were there or did you feel like oh yeah. I do want to move home or did you felt like oh this is worse than New Zealand or like how did you feel I came home like more confused than when I left and right. my which was the opposite of my goal <laughs> well I like it was really me sussing it out to be like could I live here or mm. whatever um it's actually that's a long story I like <laughs> it's too long to go into for this but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh suffice to say I, I don't know it was like it's really cool and you know, it's weird because like culturally, there's a part of me that I feel like, I don't know, like I'm always going to be a little bit of an outsider here because I've got the American dream just like so deeply instilled in me that is, and it's a little, it's, when I moved here, I didn't realize how culturally different the two places are. Mm. And now, and like I was pissing off everybody all the time without realizing it. How? What do you mean? 
like being like have you been told this by friends or something or like is this just your in retrospect it's just very obvious okay i was just like making a fool of myself like you know like sending back coffees constantly or something you know like that sort of thing like this is burnt can you make me a new one so wait, yeah, because you have um, standards and boundaries for yourself, yeah. New Zealanders don't like that. They're like, yeah. you should be subservient. They, yeah, like the, the hospitality staff would just give you this glare and I'd be like, whoa, they must be having a bad day. <laughs> and I can imagine you being like, like as, as like happy and grinning. Kind of like, uh, grinning as well, just like doubling down on them. Just yeah. Like you're just unaware. Yeah, exactly. And I think that happens all the time. Um, some New Zealanders are miserable, man. There's a lot of bitter New Zealanders. Okay, well, this is the thing about the um, uh, the American dream and versus like <laughs> the American dream versus New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, because in America, we're taught that like you, you're in the land of the free and you can do whatever you want. Wow. And like what I wanted was to be a Backstreet Boy. And so I was just convinced that I was going to be a Backstreet Boy. My friend was convinced they were going to be the president. And like, we were convinced. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like... And so then when I moved here and I like, none of my friends wanted to be Backstreet Boys or prime ministers or whatever. Like, I had this friend who was like really good at writing. And I was like, you should like make a book or I don't know, a blog or something. She's like, ah, oh, nah. Yeah. You know, that classic response. <clears throat> and it's just insane like it's just so yeah people don't believe that they can do anything here which is maybe more close to reality because you know most people don't end up being a backstreet boy but um yeah i don't know like basically and the other thing is i don't know in america it's not like it's not like bad to like show off or, or to be like hey check out this cool thing i did so that was the main thing. I just like, as soon as I made a song that I thought was cool, I'd just show everyone and be like, hey, check out this amazing song I made. Isn't it great? And they'd be like, oh yeah. <clears throat> but that's horrible. I, but I think that that's bad. Yeah. I, 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 not a judgment on like people that do that, but who is, who is that helping? Yeah, to be honest, like, because I, I kind of always say, I, I feel like if you can take the best parts of Kiwi culture and the best parts of American culture and put them together, like, they're pretty, like, complementary in their, like, oppositeness. Mm. Um, but if you can get rid of the jagged edges of both sides, I think you end up with something that's, like, really cool. Mm. Like, um, someone who's humble and curious about other people and curious about the world outside of themselves, but also, like, not afraid to really do the best they can and to like really believe in who they are and see themselves for who they are. Because I, th I think when people underplay themselves, when they don't see themselves for what they're truly capable of, it just limits what they, what they can put out in the world. You know, I think the best way you can, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the best way you can achieve what you're capable of, you got to know what you're capable of, mm -hmm. you know, on both, on both sides. And I think Americans are like overestimate what they're capable of massively probably and, New Zealanders massively underestimate it. Um, and yeah, like lately I've, like, I went through a phase of being like, oh, I've got an ego problem. Like, right. Yeah. Like, that, that was another self-diagnosis? A little bit. I don't know. My girlfriend at the time was like, you talk about yourself constantly and like, you got an ego problem. You crazy American. <laughs> and I was, um, she was Argentinian. Um, uh, and 
I was like, oh yeah, I kind of do. And then I went back to America three years later after like living here for three years. And I was like, oh, it's not just me. Like my whole country has an ego problem. So I swung to the total other side of it and was like, I just need to be like a humble Kiwi. And now I'm sort of now, yeah, now I'm more trying to do the synthesis thing. And mm. I'm not afraid to call out what I find to be problematic about Kiwi culture. And I do find people not believing in themselves. Like it, it makes me angry. It's, uh, it, does it seem to you like a learned lack of confidence? Absolutely. It's just the tall poppy thing, you know? Like, you I don't what? know what it was like growing up in school here, but it must have been terrifying for people to act like this. Yeah, can you, as an outsider, can you, like, what's, what do you see this tall poppy I, syndrome thing being? Like, I mean, it starts out with literally people trying to make themselves smaller. Like, you watch people walking down the street and they hunch their shoulders and they look down and, like, you know, it's like people are afraid to take up space. Yeah. You know, because if you take up too much space, you're gonna like take the sun away from all the other poppies and then they'll kill you or whatever. That's, <laughs> that's the whole theory. That's so interesting. Like you see it even in like a physical. Absolutely. Dimension. Yeah, yeah. People are afraid to like really hold themselves with pride. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry everybody. Why? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm a victim of it too, for sure. But no, it's, it's, it's true. Like it is a thing. It really confused me. I remember there was this like really cool rapper in Wellington when I first moved here and I like he did this show that was just the coolest. What was his name? I'm not going to say. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then I like, it was just so good. And I was like, yep, you're it. And then I saw him walking down the street and he looked like so like, yeah, just totally hunched over and like sad. And you know, not that it's bad to be sad, but it was just... It just seemed like I was like, you know who you are. You're that person that comes out on stage. And that's why you do that is because you get to express yourself in that way that you don't feel like you're allowed to in normal day life. And the fact that he doesn't feel like he's allowed to in everyday life is like the sad part. Yeah. The societal like pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally succumbed to it. And like after living here for maybe nine or 10 years, I re, I, it got pretty bad, you know, to the point where I was like, what do I even have to give? And wow. I should just... You know, whatever, bury myself in a cave and not create anymore and all that sort of thing. And then I've kind of come out of it now. I feel like it also goes into like, it permeates through if not just the individuals, but into relationships as well. Like I've, mm. I think I've, we've talked about on this podcast before is the lack of real time support between people and like mm. picking up people and like actually genuinely earnestly like, Telling someone what they're doing is really good. New Zealanders tend to do t tend to wait till something ends or the band like breaks up, and then they'll tell them that the band was really good. Mm, I know, I know. And well, I feel like that's well, okay, kind of part of actually, the same thing. That's right? one of the other ways I always piss people off is I'm like give them compliments. Yeah, and and Kiwis fucking hate it. They just get so scared if you're like, "Wow, you're like you're so cool," or like I just like. I think you're great and the art you make is amazing. And like just you as a person, I think you're fundamentally rad. Yeah. And they're like, ah! <laughs> it's know? crazy. It is crazy. There's some something. Some... It's sinister. There's something sinister going on. <laughs> truly. I truly believe that, you know, because, okay, I think it comes down to control, you know, like okay. uh, if you don't, if you don't understand your full value, then, uh, you know, it's easier to get you to work a shitty job. Right. It's just a control thing, I think. Yeah. That's my theory. But then I think in, in the States, it's somehow flipped. It's sort of like the, it, it 
kind of goes the opposite direction where it amps up everybody's ego to like such an extent that I don't know, it somehow creates this hyper competitive consumerist yeah, culture. Yeah, maybe you can like an, you can exploit the competition every way. Yeah, yeah. So neither it's just opposite sides of the same capitalist coin, you know. Yeah, and at the same time, like New Zealanders can be so sweet and so I love them. I know. Like that's the beautiful relaxed thing. Relaxed and so like, yeah. It's it's wonderful. And and you know, everyone that comes here kind of says it. They're like, wow, people are so nice and caring and curious about who, you know who I am and whatever you know it's like uh yeah it's and aware you know like Kiwis are like incredibly aware of like I don't know like the larger global context and you know um they ask questions that was the main thing that surprised me when I went back to the states after living here for three years was how much everyone just constantly talked about themselves you know and didn't ask me at all who I was they were just too busy telling me about like the script that they'd written that was almost, you know, some uh, high whatever studio exec is about to put it in a thing or them Always. and all. Like the biggest one I got was like, oh yeah, and me and my friends were going to be in this reality TV show. I got that like 10 times while I was there. I was like, how many reality TV shows can there be? <laughs> an infinite number. <laughs> There's an infinite number of realities in America. Yeah, true. Yeah, or in the universe, apparently. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there we go. That's get that. And, and now we will discuss infinity for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> um, okay, sick. And okay, but what about, you've lived in Wellington. Now you live in Auckland. Yeah. What about inter-New Zealand national differences? How, are you, how, how do you oh, find the yeah. lifestyle in Auckland? It's so interesting, eh? I remember, like, because after, after uh, Camp Aloham finished, there was also Chronophonium, which happened up here. Did you play Chronophonium? Yeah, I did. And I, and I, like, I, I kind of became friends with a lot of the people that organized it and stuff. Oh, awesome. And um, actually, my favorite show I've ever played was at Chronophonium as the cops were shutting down the um, festival. It wasn't the last one, but the- Second to last one. The second to last one, okay. Yeah, the cops were shutting down the festival and somehow, I wasn't even supposed to play that year, but somehow they'd shut down all the stages and it was me at the fire truck in, in this tiny little PA yeah. playing. And we knew we had about 30 minutes before the cops were gonna come and finally shut down the one last little PA speaker that we had up and running making music. Yeah. And it was really interesting. The festival organizers, knew that it was probably gonna get shut down that night. And they came up to me and were like, hey, John, if you just happen to be around, can you just be a keeper of the peace if like the um, cops are there? Like, can you just tell everyone, you know, not to resist and all that sort of thing? And so I played my set, it was super good. Like everyone was there cause everything else had gotten shut down. Yeah. And, then, and then the cops came and it was like right at my last song. And then I was like, oh wait, I know what to do. And so then I like, before they shut down the equipment, I was like, hey guys, just so you know, um, cops are here, they're gonna shut down the like PA system and stuff, but you know, it's actually not their decision. They've just been like told to do this by whomever and you know, whatever, like Kyoto to them, they're just doing their job. And, um, and then the, one of the festival organizers went, like looked over me and was like, John, like get everyone to sing We Got Love, which is this like song that I'd made, which is like, has this part where everyone like sings together, like we got love, we got love, we got love. Anyway, so everyone just started singing that acapella as the cops were just like taking away all the gear. <laughs> and that in that moment, I was like, holy shit, like I did the thing that I've been like trying to do for ages. The like community thing. Yeah, you know, 
It's a long, it's actually a little bit of a story. Maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go into it for a minute and then we'll talk about the difference between um, Auckland and Wellington and whatever. But first, I'm really sorry. I have to go to the bathroom. Oh my God. We're going to have to cut. I need you to edit this. I'm not going to let people just be here in silence. Can, well, I can talk. Okay. How, how quick can you pay? All right, we'll see how quick I can go. You go for that. How quick? Do you know, you can, you can go down the steps and then you turn and it's at the back. You don't have to go to the other room. Now, I am going to let everyone know that before we sat down, I said to John, John, we're going to talk for probably an hour. And maybe in that hour, you might need to go to the toilet. And he even informed me that he has what I call a little boy bladder. This is a lesson in taking my advice. Should always, always, even if you think you don't need to, guys, even if you think, nah, I, I know me, there's nothing there, just have a go. Just have a go, it's worth it. Start at zero, even if, you, even if you're only at 10, start at zero. And you can avoid mistakes like this. Um, I hope you're really enjoying the podcast. I'll take this actually, this moment's really nice. I wanted to kind of say some things. Um, it's been really, really fun doing this podcast. It's been really, really nice having people talk to me about listening to these conversations and saying that they enjoy it, finding new artists. A lot of people found Hans through the podcast last time. And it's been a really good time. So thank you for listening. I'm excited to listen to that one. Oh, it's really great. He is, I've been really lucky in the, uh, the people that I've got, including yourself, like I only get to do this once a week, like sitting on a couch and actually talking and hanging out with someone. And so I think I'm prioritizing people that I actually really not only find interesting, but know I'm actually going to have like a good time with, you know mm. what I mean? And nice. so it's actually really like... It brings a lot of gratitude into my life. Lovely. Isn't that nice? That is lovely. Yeah. John's back, everybody. By this is the quickest urination. Hey, I'm a speedy guy, you know. <laughs> um, you were telling me before you rudely interrupted my podcast. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? You were telling me about, oh, oh no, we're going to get into Wellington and Auckland. Yeah, but I've like, it's a little bit of a... Or we were going to talk about how you, you did the thing. Yeah, and you, well, actually, and you, and I realized you, you, all of a sudden I told the punchline of a story, like of a of the arc of my musical story, before actually telling the whole story. Well, let's rewind it then. Okay, all right, yeah. Tell, then let's we'll, hear the music musical story. I, I'm 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 rambling so much. I hope it's you don't a long mind. form podcast. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've got ADD. What can I say? What can you do? What can you do about it? Um, okay, so. Uh, yeah. All right. Back in 2010, when I first started like releasing music and I only started releasing it because my dear friend at the time, Kim Wheatley was like, yo, you should put this out. And I was like, it's not good enough. He's like, give me all your stuff and I'll find like five good songs and we can release that. You can release those as an EP. Cool. So I sent, he was like, give me all of your whatever, all of your honey pies, which was like a reference to a really terrible Beatles song. He's like, just give it all to me. Anyway, what a good friend. And he came back with this list of songs and it was like, I was like, oh, maybe I can release something. So I did. And at the time it was all like really kind of dark and like, you know, like suburban sad boy music. Uh, oh yeah. And um, kind of very underground sort of lo-fi indie vibes. Um, anyway, and a big part of my whole thing was like, I was trying to make music because I wanted to prove to myself and to the world that like, 
I was cool and had value as an artist, you know? Um, As well as like express yourself, whatever. But like, you know, there was definitely an ego element to it. And just like, because I didn't, I was an outcast and nobody liked me as a kid, you know? And it was just like, no, I'm going to prove to them that I am, that I'm cooler than them or something. I don't know. Um, Almost for revenge. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit to like, you underestimated me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, and so I did that for a few years. And then when I was at, Camp Hum in uh, 2011, was hanging out with my brother. We were a little bit under the influence. Um, it was getting cold. Uh, I was putting on some pants because it was getting cold, uh, these white pants. And uh, I remember like getting a little paranoid. I was like, Mike, like, I don't know. Like, are... He's like, what's up? He's like, are, are people going to judge me like these pants? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, they're all like dirty and like they're white. And I don't know. And he, he was like, John, look at yourself. You're wearing white pants. You're awesome. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I am awesome. Like looking in the mirror. And um, and then it was like this little like dominoes moment. And it was like, they were all, you know, ticking down. It's like, oh, like, and like everyone's awesome. And all those kids out there also like kind of think that they suck and like have this insecurity about like, whatever their pants being dirty or like this or that. And actually like they have value inherently as they are. It's just that like we all do and but we get told by society that we don't. We get told by society like inherently you suck and you need to prove your worth through like working hard and whatever, you know? And I kind of like had this theory. I was like, whoa, this is just like this crazy thing that society does where it tricks us into that so that we'll work hard and be efficient capitalist workers. And I was like, ah, like, if I know that I have value and I know that we all have value, then instead of making art to like prove to the world that I have value, why don't I just make art that inherent, that like communicates that concept that like we each have value as we are, that you have value as you are, that you're enough as you are. Mm. Um, And at the time I was really into like this idea of like creating positive social change in the world um, and using music as a medium to do that. So that was like kind of all of a sudden it completely flipped the music I was making. And so then it was like, I was trying to make something that had that message at the very core and that was like as accessible as possible. Right. Anyway, um, so I was on this mission to make to make this these little love viruses, you know, these little in, in songs. Anyway, so that moment at uh, Chronophonium when everyone was singing We Got Love as the cops like are like leaving, taking our gear away, it sort of just felt like a little moment where it was like, all right, like the universe was like, you've worked hard, John, like here, I'll give you like a taste of what it's like to succeed. Um, Anyway, so I made a lot of friends through Chronophonium, like Auckland-based people and started hanging out with them whenever I'd come up here. And, you know, like everyone in Wellington's all like, oh, Auckland's this or that, you know, like they talk a lot of shit about this place. And... I never quite understood it, you know? I was like, but my friends here are really cool. And like, <laughs> they're nice. I like them. And and then I'd talk to my friends here and they'd be like, well, yeah, we love Auckland. Like, whatever. Like, you know, there's a few people here who hate it here. But like, for the most part, it's like, as long as you kind of, I don't know, avoid avoid mean people on Queen Street or whatever. Like, don't work a job just with evil lawyers and stuff. I don't know. Um, it's pretty good. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I love it up here. I love that there is uh, such a large community. I mean, Wellington's cool for the opposite reason. It's such a like small, intimate community that, uh, yeah, you, every time you walk down the street, you bump into a million people that you know. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you kind of, you know what's going on with everyone, you know, you know what each person's up to and, but it's like, it's, it's, it's good and bad because it just limits who and how you can connect and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. Do you feel more free in Auckland? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And just like, I don't know, it's weird going to parties and like I, when I went to the, the little party that happened at Crumb. Yeah. And I was like, like aside from you and the people I came with, I was like, I know no one here. And that would never happen in Wellington. Shout out, Camila. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to you, Cam. <laughs> yeah. No, it is nice. And do you, it's, you've got new people to meet all the time as well as the other part of it. And I feel like you, you do really well at meeting new people. That's just my sense of it. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm like a super extrovert, which is why it's a little bit weird that I've just moved into a place like completely on my own and... I kind of shut myself in there and try and be alone as much as I can because my natural inclination is to socialize constantly. Is that to prioritize music though? Yeah, it's because I've like got a dream. I've got that American dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So if, like you said, you made the, you were making love viruses. Yeah. And then one of them kind of like evolved into a crowd singing your song um, yeah. as the, as the uh, PA was taken away. Yeah. Has your, intention for your art changed since then is that why you're kind of focusing on it a bit more i remember you mentioning something about yeah like what so what's what's the everything's changed. what's the intention now like honestly it's like i'm i'm in a place of rediscovery so mm. after after that um after that happened at chronophonium and stuff eventually um i made some songs that were sort of like uh catchy enough or something to catch the attention of some record labels and I eventually signed a little deal with Universal and then got um, some of my songs on the radio and uh, on some pretty pretty good playlists on Spotify and stuff like that. And, uh, excuse me. Um, yeah, and had like a little bit of success enough to where I could like just do music for a living and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it actually really messed with my creative process mm. because all of a sudden I was thinking my like, when I was writing songs, it was like, oh, these songs have to work on the radio. Right. And it totally fucked with me. And it's taken me until now. So that was like, you know, I would have signed that in 2000, end of 2017. And it's taken me until now to realize that, like how much that messed with my creative process. And it's not the fault of the label or anything like that. It was just like my own expectations of like what I thought I was supposed to do. Mm. Um, yeah, and and uh, it's interesting. I was on this quest for um, accessibility and like uh, authenticity, I guess. And but I got so focused on the the accessibility part of the of the virus, you know, and got less focused on the love part and really focused on the virus part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, because of the way my attention works, like. I just got distracted for a couple of years just basically trying to figure out how to craft like the perfect pop song or right. whatever or the perfect like dance pop song. And um, I don't think I nailed it, but... Uh, <laughs> but you must have like, and, and now that you're kind of, oh, I want to recalibrate my focus. It's not like you are going to unlearn the things you learned in those two years no. anyway. Like, you know, you still know how to craft... Yeah, I do. fucking pop song. Now, now you can just focus back on the love and the virus part's already sorted. Yeah, that's the hope. That's the hope. I, you know, and it's just interesting because I knew when I started focusing on accessibility, I knew it was a slippery slope, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
and then I just, I'd slipped. I really did. And it's amazing how, like, how authenticity is such a, um, I don't know, fragile thing maybe, you know. It's easy to lose it if you're not careful, you know. I was kind of talking to a uh, friend this morning and saying that is, like, is, authenticity real i don't even know if authenticity is real like what is what what is authenticity i you know i think it's like a feeling for me this the way i relate to it is it's like my brother mike who's like my little guru um he always talks little guru that'd be a cool shout out mike (laughs) (laughs) yeah shout out mikey um is like that it's like you know when you're following your curiosity that that's like the best place to be is like if you're if you're feeling curious about something um, but like for me, yeah, it's, it's maybe something similar. It's sort of like, I just have this sense of excitement and, and there's something real that feels like it's flowing through me and animating me every morning when I wake up and, and something I, I want to express. And as opposed to like inauthenticity or like when I'm doing something cause I think I should, you know, like posting mm. a post on Instagram cause like I think my label would like it or, yeah. you know, cause that's what you're supposed to do is keep in touch with your fans and you write some lame ass like thing with some selfie of you sticking out your tongue. I don't know, like, um, not that, I mean, that can be authentic too, you know, but like, it's just about where it's coming from. Mm. And if it's coming from a place of like a sense of like should or like, you know, a scarcity or, that sort of thing versus from a place of like excitement and um, you know something deep within you that's just like like busting to come out. I don't know. That's that's my take on it. At least th- that's when I I know that I make the best art is when I'm is when I've got that feeling. So that's what I'm prioritizing now. Yeah. So are you making decisions based on trying to have that feeling as maximize that feeling as much as possible? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, there was a while where it was like I started getting real calculated and was like, no, I, I need to release a single every, you know, whatever, couple months and I'm going to like have this whole pipeline and turn myself into a machine and whatever. Um, and it just was not fun. You Isn't know? that crazy? Because you, like you said, tur- the idea of turning yourself into a machine. Yeah, it sucks. But it's like so incentivized at the moment, you know. I don't know. It's especially with like Instagram and people just like turning themselves into marketers and Spotify, like that yeah. and Spotify. Yeah, like, well, the release model. It, it, the, all the narrative about like, well, people um, consume music so much quicker. So yeah, have release, to release a single more every and month. More and more. Yeah, it's like, and, who, well, and who it doesn't even benefit? matter if it's that good. Just release another thing, you know. And doesn't even matter if you like it that much. People just want to consume content. Like that's the narrative or whatever. Do you, do you, I, I don't yeah. care. Do you think people who know. like art want to um, have machine-produced art? No, <laughs> I don't think any of us want that. Like, I don't. It, it you know, that's the weird thing. I, I don't know why I keep coming back to Instagram, but it's like I get really ups, Like, I just get depressed every time I look at Instagram. That's why I don't really look at it anymore because I. Everyone I'm friends with on there is musicians. Everyone I follow, and like they're mostly like musicians at my level like the kind or whatever kind of DIY just trying to you know uh, make a living off of it and so they're always posting like essentially promo but like uh, dressing it up as if it's like you know just an authentic moment Um, that's like maybe a cynical read on it Um, but that's what it is yeah and you know I talk to like people and like they all say the same thing they're like yeah I fucking hate it but you gotta do it 
Like that's literally the story. No, Talk to almost any musician. That's what they'll say. And I'm sick of it. Mm. I think it's stupid. I honestly think it's like, it's all it's doing is, is uh, creating useless substance to feed like kids social media addictions. Yeah. And what value does that give? And does anyone actually really want that? Like even the social media addicted kid, do they really want that? Like, I don't actually think so. I think what they really want is like authentic art that, that can touch them in a way that like makes them feel something really deep. And I don't know. Sorry, I just got all, no, I got all angsty. No, no, no. But that, like, I spend a lot of time talking about this kind of shit. And recently I've spent a lot of time thinking about like, cause that it kind of leads on from that. But like, well, if I fucking hate this, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. But if I'm not going to do it, what do I have something? Do I have a better version of this that I want to do? Like, or, or, yeah. am I, or am I saying I'm just going to not do anything? And recently I've been thinking about, and I'd be interested to see what you think about this because I think you're naturally already on this vibe. But I'm really bemoaning the kind of like, I'm feeling really divorced from the physical world with mm. music mm. because we like you said, we're on Instagram, we're on Spotify, we're, we're, we're being, we're ex we exist in a digital space. And it's definitely accentuated for me because I haven't been playing live for the last year, year and a half. Mm. And no one's been playing live for the last wee bit mm. because of COVID. Mm. And my question I'm asking myself is like, and the, the kind of mission I want to get on, and be interested to see what you think about this, is like, how, what's, what, can, what can I make to be the physical component of every single thing I do? Like mm. how can I, how can I have a part of it be in the physical world? How can I have a part of it that I can actually connect with people? That's more than just I'll play a gig every now and then. That's really what I've been thinking about. Mm. As like an antidote to this kind of, mm. I'm always the context for how your relationship with my music is on a on a sixteen by sixteen square, mm. surrounded by other people's content or on mm. an LCD screen, mm. and I hate that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Because like the, the the context of you think of like art has to be presented in a context. You can't have a context contextless art experience, really. Mm, yeah. So where what's the context for um, consuming music in twenty twenty? It's um, on a screen or through an app. Mm. And then if it's live, all the venues kind of look the same as well. Mm. And that when so when you said like oh I you know go out and connect with nature and be outside and take my clothes off. And then you started talking about, you know, things like chronophobium. Is that not potentially one of these answers? And I wonder if you think about this a lot, like taking people into nature, having like these kinds of spaces away from bars and away from yeah. nightclubs and actually having the medium of music be a far more like open, Absolutely. artsy thing. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of um, folk music in a way, you know? Like, how did we used to experience music together? You know, before, uh, I guess, the mass production of the LP or existed, you know? Um, and I'm sure it was just something that was way more native to our inherent, like, humanity, you know, about just, like, being in a circle and harmonizing. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's actually what I long for the most mm. is uh, like harmony, you know, where you're 
So, you know, you're, I mean, if, to take the example of like three people singing together and they're literally just breathing, vibrating the, the air with their voice and then so are two other people and those vibrations are like, have a beautiful mathematical relationship to each other and are swirling around each other and then creating this pleasant experience that they're all experiencing together. Like there's something so magical about that. And I feel like when we are in harmony with each other, like I used to sing in choir as a kid and stuff like that. There's, it's unlike any other feeling in the world. You know, it's the same way that being out in nature is unlike any other feeling in the world, you know? Like going for a hike in the Abel Tasman or something like that, you know? It's just, it's so refreshing and life-giving. And it, we've been, I think even more than going for the hike in nature, we've been completely divorced from harmony you know, mm. from shared harmony. And, and I think the thing about that is like, when you're, when you're sharing that level of intimacy of like harmonizing with other people or singing in unison, uh, you're, you're sharing something so fundamental. It's sort of like, you can see the, the shared humanity within each other, you know, and, mm. and you feel less alone and less afraid in this world and your anxiety goes down and, you know, I think it's incredibly healing and and I almost feel like so many things in the world could probably be solved if we would just sing together. Right. Um, <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds. Is that why you laugh? Because you think that, yeah. I mean, people use the word woo-woo. Yeah. I'd but say, I fucking love <laughs> shit that they call woo-woo. I love woo-woo. Honestly. <laughs> it's such bullshit. Whenever someone like... It's okay, no, all right, no. Can I interrupt? I'm sorry, please, I'm no, interrupting. Hey, you're the guest. I, <laughs> um, I'm trying to interrupt less, but um, I feel like there's two sides to this because you're, you're right. Like uh, we, call, we dismiss things as woo-woo that are actually you know, uh, real and it's a way of just staying disconnected from each other. It's like, I ain't going to do that hippie shit. When yeah. it's like, actually, if you did that hippie shit, you'd feel better. But um, then there's the total opposite side of woo-woo, which is like just completely naive and gullible um, and not based on science at all to the point that it's just fucked, which is, um, if I don't know if, yeah, you probably haven't heard about this, but you know about the uh, festival Luminate down in, yeah, well, yeah. I'm throwing some serious shade right no, now. No, I love it. I have seen, because uh, I followed David, David Ferrier was talking about. Oh, really? Old D-boy. I listen, I've always been, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm about to be a hater, but like <laughs> I've always been a little bit skeptical of that festival. I went once and the thing that really threw me off was I remember walking past some uh, workshop once where this guy was telling like about 80 people about how they needed to protect themselves from the um, cell phone rays by buying his silver underwear that he sold. What? And I did serious. And then people were like asking all these questions as if it was some sort of serious thing. Like, will this also protect me from my laptop rays? And he was like, yeah, well, the gamma alpha omega waves will. It was just total bullshit. It was, yeah. he, was, he was just a con artist, you know? And then, yeah, Luminate posted uh, this private festival that they're doing and they posted all their inspirations and like a whole bunch of them were like QAnon supporters and uh, yeah just they insane insane shit and it was like it just confirmed to my suspicions of like ah oh, like that's the thing like when people say i fucking hate hippies it's like it's that it's that it's that naivety that is like that allows bad ideas that are absolutely harmful to get propagated because there's no 
skepticism or cynicism, like at all, as opposed to like leaving room for the unknowable. Like, like, you know, there's a total difference between saying, oh, when we sing together, there's something like incredible that happens that we can't actually quantify through science versus saying the cell phone rays are going to destroy you and you need yeah. to buy my silver underwear, you know? Totally. Well, that community is self um, described as one that has a lot of people that are searching in their lives for things, you know? Mm. So th th those kinds of people are drawn to that uh, community quite a lot. And, and are vulnerable. And are vulnerable. And like, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination that people who either accidentally profit from that vulnerability or actually um, cynically profit from that vulnerability. Mm are going to continue to do that for a long time, I think. And especially with, you know, when you add Facebook echo chambers into it, um, al algorithmic um, suggestions, <laughs> like that shit gets real. Yeah. Like they were at the QAnon thing, they were talking about like the unholy alliance of like conspiracy theorists and the wellness community. Oh. Because because the, 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 for whatever reason, the algorithm had a great success taking like... Um, the wellness community through to like vaccination questions wow. and then from vaccination questions down to all these other, if just through the focus on health, like there's, yeah. It's sort of it's beautiful crazy, and how fucked up it is. It's something beautiful going on. It's, uh, the more I think about it, I think <laughs> we need to start thinking about it as it is a separate reality. The online reality is yeah. a separate reality yeah. and that might solve a bit of our problems. We might, people, True. if people can actually understand that there, there's one world that's online, mm. but that that doesn't necessarily, that we need to separate that a little bit more from the physical world we live mm. and maybe co compartmentalize it a little bit. Yeah. Um, until we figure out how to synthesize it healthily back into our yeah. real world. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not going away. No. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. So I think like the more, that's why I quite like VR and shit like that because it actually yeah. puts in your face, I have, um, it's I, I I am something else right now. I'm role playing, yeah, and might actually lead to a more healthy synthesis back in, yeah, as opposed to things like Facebook and Instagram, where it's actually pretending to be, re be reality. It's trying to trick you into like, no, this is reality, mm. as opposed to being like, this isn't reality, but have fun. Mm. That's why I think they're more dangerous because mm. they aren't. They still aren't reality. They're just pretending, just because you can see what your friends are showing you. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. it might be real, and that leads people to like, well, this is the real world. You know, the Q is giving us <laughs> um, these breadcrumbs about things, and birds aren't real, which I love. And um, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, John, I feel like we're gonna have to have you back at some point because this is it's, yeah, it's beautiful. I'd love to. I mean, also the other thing is like actually because I'm in such a um, I'm such a transition period at the moment. Like right. I've literally what I didn't tell you. I don't. Maybe I shouldn't tell you because now we're almost done. Should we do? We could do it in the second episode. Um, we we'll leave it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> the John Lemon cliffhanger. What uh, is he up to? Yeah, I don't know. It'll basically what I mean is like in six months' times, my like my musical life will be in a very different spot than it is now. But I that's think. great news. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, ex Cause that's the exciting shit. Yeah. I, I feel super excited at the moment. I just play piano for four hours a day and nothing else. Dope. Favorite song by someone else to play on piano. Oh no. I, you know, like right now I'm honestly just like practicing scales and inversions. Like I don't even like, I, Oh, I'm playing. I'm, Oh, actually, no, you know what? 
this is like this is this is nerdy and a little bit lame, but uh, there's this song um, "Christmas in L.A." by Wolfpack. Wolfpack, hell yeah! Yeah, <laughs> I know. Is Wolfpack lame? I don't know. I think Wolfpack's cool. Yeah, like my only, I only knock them because it's like it kind of seems a little broy. You know, you can't knock a band for the fans. No, I mean like the actual, I just mean like it's all guys and like sometimes they'll just have like 10 guys on stage. Sometimes they have a woman playing, but there's just something about it that seems a little broy to me. Yeah. But great instrumentalists, great songwriters. Um, that song is so much fun. In LA. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the song I've been enjoying playing on the piano. Dope. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for coming, John. Thank you. Um, Did you have a good time? Yeah, it's. Uh, Please I, validate me. <laughs> no, I actually. Yeah, I. Yeah, hey, we but need. Isn't that we what need, it is? We need more of this validation, yeah, though. Yeah, you yeah. know, I think we should. Like, my friends used to like. One of my friends told me about how he had this readings club where they, at the end of the reading club, of like they sat in a circle and just all expressed things they really liked about each person. They went in a row, and each person said something they liked about the, you know, and you know, it's quite beautiful. That's really nice. Um, but no, uh, I actually did have a really great time. I just thought I would get, I thought I would say more, way more than I did. And I feel like I already talked too much. So like, clearly there was like, there's a lot on my mind. Yeah, we'll have to do a second episode. I think we're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. No, I had, I had heaps of fun. I guess you don't really have any plugs at the moment. Oh yeah, no, none. Absolutely none. <laughs> like don't, don't listen to my music. <laughs> That's the most Kiwi listen thing you've seen else's. the whole time. Don't <laughs> listen to music. <laughs> listen to someone else's. <laughs> All right. Well, on that bombshell, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> have a great, have a great rest of your Sunday or whenever you're listening. I this. love you all. Yeah. yeah, you keep doing what you're doing. Take your clothes off and get in the trees, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it for us. <laughs> love ya. <laughs>